blessed, happy Resurrection Sunday. Commonly called Easter Sunday. Do you know how they celebrate Resurrection Sunday in Eastern Europe? The pastor will usually say, Jesus is risen. And then the congregation will say, yes, indeed. He is risen indeed. Praise God. We have an amazing Savior who died and rose again from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important foundational truth of Christianity. It is the bedrock of our faith. Our faith will stand or fall depending on this amazing truth. Did Jesus die? Did he rise again from the dead? This truth is so important that Romans chapter 1 verse 4 tells us, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you notice something? The Bible says the proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, declared the Son of God, is what? By the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof of his claims. The question is, is this something we can believe in? Well, I have good news for you. Lord Darling, the Chief Justice of England, says there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. These are educated lawyers, and they believe in the resurrection. Another world-famous lawyer is Simon Greenleaf. He is a lawyer from Harvard, and he wrote a book on the treatise of evidence. How do you determine evidence? What is acceptable, what is not? And this is what he said. The resurrection is one of the best documented events in the history of man. Why did he say this? Because once upon a time, he was not a believer. Once upon a time, he was not a follower of Jesus. Then one of his students challenged him. Why don't you use your brilliant mind and prove that Jesus Christ did not rise again from the dead? Then that's what he did. He studied all the evidences surrounding the resurrection. And his conclusion, the resurrection is one of the best documented events in the history of man. I also like the famous lawyer, Attorney Lee Strobel. This guy is not only a lawyer, he's a journalist. And this is what he wrote after researching whether Christianity is true or not, because his wife came to know Jesus, but he did not want to be a Christian. And after researching, he concluded the resurrection is true. And this is what he said, the resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It is the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It is the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It is the basis of Christian hope. It is the miracle of all miracles. Do you know what he's saying? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the implications are staggering. His claims are true. The Son of God. His promises are true. The promise of eternal life. The promise of forgiveness. His very words are true. And his warnings are true. No wonder the Apostle Peter wrote when he was going to comfort Christians who were persecuted. And this is what he said. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercies has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to observe this verse. He talks about, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A term of endearment. Blessed. 
Wow. God as Father. Not only that, according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. The reality that we are born again by virtue of God. He took the initiative to cause us to be born again. You see this in the Bible, especially in John chapter 3. To be born again means to have a new life. When Jesus Christ comes into our life, we are given new life. Born again to a living hope. Do you notice our hope is living? It's real. Why? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The very foundation of our hope is not on a religion. It is not on a creed. It is on the very person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. That is why it is called living hope. Because it is anchored on the very person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not rise again from the dead, then everything we're hoping for is useless. Our faith is useless. Why? He's just an ordinary man. But because he died and rose again from the dead, this is what makes Christianity so distinct and so unique. You see, our hope is real. Optimism is wishful thinking without warrant. It's fantasy. It's like you are saying, I hope I will win the lottery. I hope I will win the sweepstake. But when it comes to Christian hope, it is a certainty. It is guaranteed by God himself because Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. It is in light of this amazing truth that Jesus died and rose again, that he's able to comfort two sisters. Who are these people? I remember Mary and Martha. Do you realize Mary and Martha experienced deep sorrow and deep regrets? What do I mean? In John 11, 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice the phrase, if you had been here. In Tagalog, kung sana. You know, this word if is really a statement of regrets. If only Mary did the same thing. Mary said, Mary came to Jesus, fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The truth is from time to time, we all experience great disappointments, great sorrows, and above all, regrets. I remember my wife and I many years ago. That day, my wife and I will never forget. Because that was the day when my daughter came to my wife and asked her permission to go to Faith Academy. My daughter said, Mom, can we go to Faith Academy? And my wife told her, no, bring your friend to the house because it is safer in the house. My wife distinctly remembered. She used the word, don't go to Faith Academy tonight. Stay in the house. It is safer. Well, you know what happened that night. Seven men came to our house. They robbed and above all, they raped my daughter and their friends. The most painful thing a father can experience is when men will rape their daughters. My heart was so broken, I cried. My wife was blaming herself. If only I told her, go. How come I did not tell her to go? You see the tendency to blame yourself is very real. I was thinking of blaming myself also. I was thinking, what if I decided to stay home because my daughter would have some guests? Instead of going to Makati to a Bible studies, why don't I just stay home? But you see, the tendency is to blame ourselves, to blame circumstances. So how did we process this? When my wife was processing this, God reminded her of the reality of the sovereignty 
that God is almighty. God could have stopped her from saying, don't go. God could have stopped the robbers from entering our house, but he did not. You see, it is important that we understand who Jesus is, who God is. And my wife remembered that God made an amazing promise that God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And because of that promise, my wife and I were able to surrender the regrets, the pain, into the loving hand of our Lord. How did Jesus comfort Mary and Martha? What did Jesus do to help them process their deep sorrows, their deep regrets? Wow, can I tell you how? It has to do with the reality of his death and resurrection. See, this is what Jesus said. Jesus told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is now telling Mary and Martha, and he's telling his disciples, the answer to the disappointments of life, the answer to the regrets of life, is none other than a living Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, there is no problem so big. There is no situation so helpless and hopeless like the death of somebody you love that Jesus Christ cannot do something about it because the best is yet to come provided you, you and I understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is telling us, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice, I am. Not religion. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at this amazing promise. He who believes in me. If you believe in Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God, shall live even if he dies. What in the world does that mean? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. An amazing promise of not encountering death. An amazing promise. An amazing promise of immortality. How can this be? And this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Tim Keller says the following. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. The issue is not whether you like it or not, whether you agree or disagree with what he said, but whether he rose from the dead. What is the author saying? If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he is saying is true. All of his promises are true. Whether you understand it or not, whether you believe it or not, is totally irrelevant. Because if Jesus died and rose again, his claims are true, his promises are true, and his warnings are true. So how do you live a life of no regrets? May I suggest the following principles. I call it the KISS principle, K-I-S. What is K-I-S? To live a life of no regrets, you got to be intentional. K, you must know the truth. I, you got to internalize the truth. And S, you must share the truth. In other words, if you want to live a life of no regrets, surrender your regrets to the Lord, if ever. You must know the truth. And then internalize the truth. And share the truth. Let's expand this. Know the truth. What does it mean? Do you realize truth matters? I'm reminded of New Zealand 
Airlines Flight 901, November 28, 1979. With 257 passengers, that flight from New Zealand was going to Antarctica for a sightseeing trip. Back and forth, it will take 11 hours. So these are first-class customers, and they do this regularly. Except on that fatal day, there was a problem. The coordinates set by the engineer and the captain was two degrees off. And guess what happened? Truth matters. You have to be precise. You see, destination is never determined by intention. Final destination is decided by what? Direction. Proper direction. You have to be intentional. And the truth is this. Because of two degrees off, after five hours of traveling, the destination and the final point where they should be was 28 miles apart. And suddenly, when the captain brought down the plane to enjoy the wonderful view of Antarctica, what happened? They hit the mountain. It's called Mount Erebus. This is a living volcano over 12,000 feet, and everybody died. Why? Truth matters. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. Sometimes consequences are immediate. Sometimes consequences take time. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you must understand the truth. Because this is what it says. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Let me explain this to you. Paul is now describing the role of a Christian. Paul is saying, we are called servants of Christ. That word servant comes from the Greek word, Huperetes, this kind of servant is the lowest ranking. They are in the lowest galley. But their whole objective is to listen to the captain. The idea is to hear and obey. The next word used is stewards. The word stewards comes from the word oikonomos. That's where you have the word manager. He's responsible. He's a manager of the mysteries of God. Now, what does it mean? mysteries of God. That's where most Christians don't realize. A few weeks ago, we discussed that we are entrusted. We are servants. We are not owners. We are managers. We are entrusted with time, talent, treasure, opportunities, relationships. Most of us fail to realize we are also entrusted with truth. The mysteries of God simply means what? The word mysteries comes from the Greek word mysterion. What is mysteries of God? It is a truth never previously known, a truth which human intellect could never discover, but one that has been made known by divine revelation. In other words, when the Apostle Paul says we are stewards of the mysteries of God, he is talking about spiritual truth that was not known before and is now revealed. What do I mean? Ephesians chapter 3 explains this. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Notice, the topic is about stewardship. What has God entrusted to the Apostle Paul? That by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, the same word, mysterium, the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. It has now been revealed to his holy apostles 
and prophets in the spirit. Notice, mystery means it's something that was hidden in the past and now made known. It is now the Old Testament truth that is a bit obscure and is now made known through the revelation of God by His Holy Spirit. That's what it says. Revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And the Bible tells us specifically what he's referring to in Ephesians 3 is this. To be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In short, the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, that in Christ Jesus, we are now fellow heirs. Wow, fellow heirs. In Tagalog, tagapagmana. Fellow members. Wow, we are part of God's family. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul is now saying the Jews are not the only special people. We are now part of God's special chosen people in the gospel. And then Paul repeats, of which I was made a minister. You see the word minister? A servant. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. It is a privilege to be entrusted. It is something from God. And God expects us to be faithful stewards of God's truth. No wonder in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, let a man regard us in this manner, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. We are responsible to manage God's truth properly. How are we to do that? In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, of managers, that one be found trustworthy. The word trustworthy means what? Reliable. Faithful. Let me ask you a question. Are you a faithful, trustworthy manager of God's truth? You don't add, you don't subtract. Are you faithful in passing that to others? To live a life of no regrets, you must know the truth. You must internalize the truth. What do I mean? Know the truth, internalize from the head to the heart. I want you to notice something. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed. You see, the importance of passing this to others, the importance of knowing the truth. We don't want you to be uninformed. The importance of knowing the truth. Brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Here is this amazing truth that Paul is saying. You need to know the truth about life, especially about death. He calls death asleep. Those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Do you notice? To internalize the truth is to know God's revelation about life. Not only the good news about Jesus, but God's perspective on death and life. So what does it mean, do not grieve as those, the rest, who have no hope? You see, it is normal to be sad. It is normal to grieve, especially when you have loved ones who have died. But the Bible is saying, do not grieve like the unbelievers. Who have no hope. What's the difference? For believers, if our loved ones who are in Christ passes away, we are saddened. But in the midst of sudden, there is peace, there is joy. Because knowing that they are now with the Lord. But to those who don't know Jesus and they pass away, what comfort can you find? Therefore, the grief is different. It's a grief of despair. The Bible tells us clearly, the word death 
when applies to believers, is now changed to sleep. They are sleeping. It's from the root word, koimao, meaning to lie down. And that same term is used to describe by believers. The graveyard, the word cemetery, comes from the same root word, koimeterion. Koimeterion, asleep, meaning it's like a dormitory. People are asleep. So today the word cemetery means what? It's a place where people are sleeping. It's a dormitory. That is the same word used by Jesus when he talks about Lazarus. Notice Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said, oh Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So the word sleep, the word asleep, used in the New Testament always applies to believers. It does not apply to unbelievers. The Bible tells us in John 11, verse 1, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Notice, the Bible talks about there was a certain man called Lazarus. What happened? He was sick. If you keep reading, notice the next verse. The sisters therefore sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. The focus is the reality that Jesus loved Lazarus. And Mary and Martha sent messengers to ask Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. That's why Mary and Martha said, He whom you love is sick. But what's amazing was this. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, this is what he said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. How can sickness result in God's glory and the glory of Jesus? How can death result in God's glory and the glory of Jesus? How do you put two and two together? That's why truth is so crucial. You must know the truth. Meaning, what is God saying about this particular issue of life and death? And you notice something? To make that very clear, the Bible tells us, when Jesus heard it, he stayed longer. Jesus did not go and visit Lazarus immediately. He stayed longer. And then when he finally visited Lazarus, the Bible tells us he had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead four days before he visited him. And the Bible tells us Jesus knew. Jesus was not caught by surprise. You see, to find comfort when it comes to knowing the truth, you must know that Jesus loves us. Just because you are sick does not mean he does not love you. And you must know that Jesus has a purpose, has an amazing plan. You may not know his purpose, but God has a divine plan. And nothing is impossible. In this case, Lazarus was dead already four days. Guess what happened? You have that famous discussion where Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you have that famous statement given by Jesus, Martha, even though he has been dead four days, I want to tell you something. I am the resurrection and the life. Nothing is impossible with me. Do you think Martha understood this? Jesus wanted the disciples, Mary and Martha, to internalize that truth. It's one thing to know Jesus died and rose again. He's Almighty God. But it's another thing to really believe in your heart that Jesus is sovereign over life and death. It's another thing to believe that He promises eternal life. Jesus visited the tomb and Jesus 
told Martha, remove the stone. You know what Martha said? Why will I remove the stone? Martha said, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Martha is saying, why will I move the stone? He's already dead four days. There's a smell already. You see? One thing to believe in the head, another thing to internalize truth. You must know the truth, the kiss principle, and you must internalize the truth. What is the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Here is the truth. Jesus said, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Do you notice? God wants us to believe in the heart. And then you will see the glory of God. For many of us, our faith is something like this. To see is to believe. But when you believe something from the heart, God is saying, you believe. And then you will see. How do you know you believe from the heart? It's called obedience. The Bible tells us they've removed the stone. Once you believe in the heart, the evidence is obedience. So they move the stone. And notice what happened. When they moved the stone, then and only then did Jesus say with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells us, he who died came forth. Lazarus rose from the dead by virtue of the command of Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells us, Lazarus came forth. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. That's the meaning of Jesus as Lord and sovereign of life and death. Can you think of a greater power than that? When I think of power, that nothing is impossible possible with Jesus. You know, for most people, they think of power as what? The nuclear bomb, the power of a nuclear weapon. They think of power as the power of the hurricane, typhoon, earthquake, tsunami. But for me, the greatest power demonstrated is the power over life and death. The power to give life. There's no greater power demonstrated than giving life to the dead. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing is impossible with Him. He died and He rose again. And this is very important. This is what Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Do you notice the basis of our hope is simply this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. The resurrection is foundational. And because Jesus died and rose again, what's the implication? God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This is an amazing promise. To those who are in Christ, if you have died, Paul is saying, don't be sad beyond hope because God will bring them back to life. I want you to notice something about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verses 15 to 18. The whole emphasis is about the second coming of Christ, in particular, the sequencing of events. When Jesus comes again, what's going to happen? He tells us, we who are alive and remain. In other words, should Jesus come in their lifetime, what's going to happen? We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is very emphatic. He's saying this is going to be the sequence. When Jesus comes again and we are still alive, this is what's going to happen. Number one, the Lord himself will descend. He will come first from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, those who have died will rise first. And then 
He tells us, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. What is he saying? This is now the sequence of what's going to happen someday. Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he's going to come again. And when he comes again, should you still be alive? He says, this is the sequence. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will also meet them together to meet the Lord in the air. This is where you have the word rapture. Because this is where that word comes from. You will suddenly be snatched. The Bible says we who are alive will suddenly be caught up. You will be snatched, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So that's the sequence. You will notice the Apostle Paul did not emphasize when Jesus is coming. Is it before tribulation? Is it during tribulation? Or is it after tribulation? As far as the Apostle Paul was concerned, Jesus can come anytime. In fact, they expected Jesus to come in their lifetime. What is important is be ready. Because the Apostle Paul tells us clearly, one day we will all give an account of our lives to Him. We will give an account of what we have done with the truth that we know. Therefore, always be ready. Ask the Lord what He wants you to do with what He has entrusted to us. Be faithful so that you will always be ready to meet the Lord because the grand reunion will surely happen sooner or later. We will be reunited with loved ones and with the Lord Jesus. And I pray it will be a glorious reunion. We shall always be with the Lord. And this is a certainty. Comfort one another with these words. Now you may be asking me, Peter, isn't that confusing? I thought when I die, I'm already with the Lord. So what is Jesus talking about? Ah, I want you to know something. There's a difference. The Bible tells us when you die, your soul is immediately in the presence of God. But your physical body is asleep. And when Jesus comes again, your soul and your physical body will be placed together. Let me explain. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible explains clearly, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed. Notice, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Notice the dead will be raised first. The body will be raised. And we will be changed. Then we will be changed. The dead in Christ rise first, and then we, in the split second, will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. When you die, the Bible is very clear. Absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That's your soul. But when he comes again, the Bible is very clear. Your soul will be reunited with a body that is super body. My wife calls this supernatural body. What a great comfort. The Bible says everything will be changed. This body that is full of cancer will be changed. This body that is full of pain will all be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. That's why it is so important that you must know the truth, you must internalize the truth, and you must share the truth. If not, you have the greatest regrets of your life. What do I mean? The Bible tells us the importance of sharing the truth. I'm reminded of the story in Luke chapter 16, the story of a rich man. He's so rich that the Bible tells us he had party every day, the best wine, the best beef, Wagyu beef. Man, this guy was living it up. And then boom, one day he died. This man got the shock of his life. He discovered, number one, there's life after death. 
And then he discovered he can feel. This is what he said in Luke 16, verse 24. I am in agony in this flame. It is important you must know the truth. The truth about life. God's perspective. There is life after death. And then he discovered in his desire to find relief, he discovered that there's no way you can migrate from one place to the next place. There's no way you can change your destiny. This is what the Bible tells us. He discovered between us, there's a great chasm fix. A great chasm. It's fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and none may cross over from there to us. This is a truth that we must learn to take seriously. That after you die, the destiny is final. You cannot move from one place to the others. What is very sad today, many people are sincere. They want to pray for the dead. Hoping that by praying for the dead, somehow the dead can change their destiny. But the Bible is clear. It's final. None can cross over. It is so important you must know the truth. Internalize the truth. Take it seriously and share the truth. And notice this man's regret. You know what he said? I beg you, send somebody to my father's house. I have five brothers in order that somebody will warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Do you see this rich man suddenly develop a desire for Bible study? Except he knew it was too late for him. But what about his brothers? Will somebody go there and have a Bible study with them to warn them? Why? He knows. There are times when regret is too late. And he does not want his family members to experience the same regret. The Bible tells us, Abraham said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the Bible, they will not be persuaded, even if someone will rise from the dead. Do you know what he's saying? No amount of miracles will convince anybody if the heart will not listen to the scriptures. What does it mean to listen to Moses and the prophets? Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 48 says the following. These are my words, which I spoke to you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then the Bible tells us he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, notice, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What is Jesus saying? We are given a responsibility not only to know the truth, to internalize the truth, but to share the truth. Jesus tells them, you are witnesses. What are we to witness about? The truth. The truth that Jesus Christ suffered and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. In other words, Forgiveness of sins is promised by Jesus Christ to those who will believe him, to those who would repent and come to him. I want you to imagine yourself today. How would you feel if there's a cure for COVID-19 and no one tells you? Be honest with me. How would you feel? How would you feel if your friend has discovered the cure for COVID-19, but your friend decided not to share with you. He did not want to tell you. That, my friend, is what I mean by regrets. The worst regret is to not take this truth seriously. 
that Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins, that we can have forgiveness. But another regret is knowing this and not telling others. Can I tell you something? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, I want you to realize you have an amazing future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, the new things have come. This is an amazing promise of the Lord. What is the promise? If anyone is in Christ. The condition of this promise is those who are in Christ. You have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What is the promise? You are a new creature. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. Do you notice? The old things have passed away. And the new things have come. What is the meaning of that verse? The truth is there are times when you have made bad choices. There are times when we have regrets. Example, marriage. You feel like your marriage is shattered. Relationships, bad relationships. And you are feeling the regrets, the pain. It's so hard to undo. Whatever it is, Jesus tells us, if you are in Christ, the old things have passed away, the new things have come. Grammatically, what does it mean? The old, there's a complete transformation. But the new things have come. The new things are coming. They're happening now. They'll continue to come. The best news is Jesus will come and give us a new body and a new life. Everything will be made new. I'm reminded of my father and my mother-in-law. When they were about to die, my wife told them, Daddy, I won't say goodbye. I will see you again. And that is the reality. That is the truth. That because Jesus died and rose again, we shall forever be reunited with our loved ones. You see, for believers, the best is yet to come. Yes, there is pain, there is grief. But because Jesus died and rose again, we have an amazing future. Where Jesus said, if any man is in Christ, all things have passed away. Death, cancer, sadness. Those are things of the past. And new things have come. And they will keep coming. Grammatically, new things have come. They will keep coming. And the new things start the day you come to Christ. And it will keep on growing. My wife has this amazing quotation. Death is the cessation of pain and sorrow. And the commencement of our eternal joy. So for believers, our perspective of death is different. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you will not want to keep this truth to yourself. We need to share this. We need to know the truth. Internalize the truth that Jesus Christ died and rose again and share this with everybody. And that will impact their lives. And the Bible tells us, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is never in vain with the Lord. You know why it is never in vain? It will never go to waste. Because Jesus is the one who will tell us someday, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In the meantime, what must I do? I must be busy working for the Lord, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As we close, i like to remind us, a life of no regret means what? You've got to be intentional. Intentional in applying the principles of kiss. What is kiss? 
Know the truth. Be intentional. Internalize the truth. And share the truth. Don't live a life without intentionality. Perhaps some of you are saying, you know what? I'm not even sure. If I really know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't live it. I have no peace. I have no joy. I have no evidence that this is real in my life. Who Jesus is does not impact my life. Well, I want to give you this opportunity. I don't want you to have regrets for the rest of your life. I don't want you to have regrets for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I realize I have never really internalized the truth. I know that you have died on the cross for our sins, but I have never really personalized this, internalized this. Today, I come before you. I take this truth seriously. I repent of my sins. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Change my heart. I repent of my sins. And I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you give me a burden, a passion to share this with other people. Help me to share this truth with friends, with loved ones, so that I won't have any regrets by not sharing this with them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. If this message has been meaningful to you, please click on the space provided below. We will have people who would love to chat with you and to answer your questions. And if this is your first time, we would love to know you. Let us know. Click on the space provided below. In a short while, we will have discussion questions. The discussion questions will also be given in the fast track. Guess who's going to interview me? Because this is ECQ, Enhanced Community Quarantine. I have my wife who will interview me. God bless you.